Praise team, thank you. And Eric, thank you for leading us in prayer this morning already. God is good. And all the time, God is good. It is so good to be with y'all and be back with y'all this week. Uh, some of y'all may not have known, but we tried to sneak away this past week as a family to get some vacation time that we didn't grab this summer. And we got chased out of Florida, uh, a mandatory evacuation. And um, I know that that's near and dear to many of y'all's hearts. Uh, we have family. We have church members. We have friends that have been impacted. And we've already prayed and lifted them up today. But you're also going to be able to help join in contributing financially a little later in worship too to help those efforts because the rebuilding is going to be a a long haul but with God's grace and with God's help and with the generosity of so many they will be able to rebuild not just their homes but the communities the communities and that's our prayer for them this morning so I I for one am glad to see your faces again this morning I did miss y'all last week I'm going to miss y'all this next week um, just a, a heads up that I am actually going with my clergy accountability group on a renewal retreat this whole next week. So I ask that you pray for us. Uh, it's seven pastors uh, across the whole North Georgia area, and it's a motley crew. You can ask my wife. She sees the text thread. We're, we're hot mess, but uh, we've got the grace of God with us, and we're going to be praying for one another, holding one another accountable, and worshiping together uh, this next week. So I would appreciate your prayers for our time down this next week. It's a, it's a meaningful time for us. But, um, you know, as we go and continue in worship, I, I shared this a couple weeks ago, and I think it's worth sharing again, that how awesome is it that we have the freedom to pursue after and give praise to God? Amen? Amen. And equally, how awesome is it that this is a community that welcomes your questions, our fears, our doubts, because the truth is none of us have all the answers, right? And none of us are perfect, myself being the first among them. And we as a community of faith are not perfect, but we seek to follow after the way, the truth, and the life, the one who is perfect in himself and seeks to perfect in us what is not perfect. Amen? And so may we commit to sharing in hope, living with purpose, for the sake of others, as a community of faith. And I just want to give one more welcome to those of you that may be tuning in or joining us for the first time today. We're so grateful that you're here with us. But as we continue in praise of God, I have what might seem like an odd question to begin with this morning. Y'all ready for it? Have you ever considered yourself to be an idol worshiper? You ever considered yourself to be an idol worshiper? I'd like to say I haven't. And I'm sure you would like to think you haven't, but perhaps are we in some ways unaware of the idols in our midst, unaware of the idols in our lives and in our relationships that keep us from the fullness of what God wants for you and for me and for us? Could it be possible? So just what is idols? And, and, and what do we do about idols? You know, God had something to say about this as we continue in these 10 words of life. This is the second. We're, we're about to hit the, the culmination of it, really where it all began with the first word next week. But, but today, we're going to talk about idolatry. And it's a challenging word. It's a challenging word for me. And, and, and I suspect it is for you. But God's got something in that for us today. Amen? And God wants to bless us today with his word and, and, and our reflection upon his word. So turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, and we're going to read beginning in verse 4 and going through verse 6 this morning. This is God's word for us. 
You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Almighty God, I thank you once again that we can pursue you, we can praise you, we can bring our burdens, we can bring our doubts, we can bring our questions, the things that are heavy on our heart. And God, I pray that in these moments, as we continue in worship, as we continue to meditate upon your word, Lord, that your spirit would open us up to a deeper understanding. God, that you would woo us ever more closely to what you would have us to hear, and more importantly, what you would have us to, to live out in response to your grace. So God, would you be with us now? May the meditation of our hearts and minds and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. I ask this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Well, if you've spent any amount of time in the Old Testament, you know that idolatry is easy to spot in that day and time. I mean, Asherah poles seem to be popping up everywhere. There's Baal worship. It is... It is interesting to, to note that it, there are so many gods and statues of gods that are surrounding the Hebrew people in that day. All the Ites and the Enes had their own made-up gods. You know the Enes and the Ites, right? The Hittites, the Canaanites, the Philistines, and the like. They are surrounded by a culture that basically worshipped inanimate objects as part of their going day and day in and day out. And and not to mention that the Hebrew people, if you remember, when, when these ten words were given to them, they had just been delivered from where? Egypt. They had been in bondage to, to a country and to a community and to a culture that, that basically idol worship was commonplace. And so it's not surprising to think that the Hebrew people would be tempted to incorporate that practice into their everyday life and into their own practices and worship. And that's unfortunately what we find them doing. Like if we back up just a click from chapter 20 of Exodus where these 10 words are given, we find the Hebrew people saying, we will do everything the Lord has said. And then they hear the voice of God and Moses on the mountain and they're giving the, the 10 words and before the etching and the dust from the etching on those stones has been blown off, we find that the Hebrew people have succumbed to idol worship. And they made an idol that looked something like this. Take a look. A golden calf. Right? it take y'all a minute. Y'all warm up to me. Come on. <laughs> but all kidding aside, what they made was indeed a golden calf. It looked more like a bull because in the Egyptian worship, and in, in particular when a pharaoh died they would make an idol in the shape of a bull, a golden calf, if you will. And, and that's what we find these Hebrew people doing. They're, they're worried, clearly, because Moses is hanging out with God. They've said, hey, we don't want to hear directly from God. You be his sound piece. And Moses is like, that's cool. I'll go camp out with God. They're camping up in the mountain, and, they, and God's spoken, and they're hearing all of this. And yet we find that these Hebrew people get a little impatient. 
because Moses and God are having a little too much of a party up there and, and they're fearful. And maybe they're worried about what is going on and what might happen to them. And so they turn to Aaron. They say, hey, make us some gods that will go before us because we don't know what's happened to this Moses. And if you look in Exodus 32, you find Aaron responding to their demands, their pressure on him. He gives in. He says this. He says, take off the gold earrings that your wives and your sons and your daughters are wearing. And in parentheses here, just put some context to it. When they were delivered out of Egypt, do you remember what God had told them to do? Go home to home and ask for the gold, the jewelry of all the Egyptians. So the very items that God had blessed them with, the wealth that they blessed them with, they're wearing. And here, Aaron said, hey, take them all off and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. And he took what they handed him and made into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. And in verse 5 of 32, we find it going on. It says, and, and when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. And afterwards, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. In revelry. They had a big booze and party. It was a crazy time, and you may be thinking in, in reading this, you're like, well, that's back then. This is now. Idolatry like that doesn't really happen today, right? Or right? So just what is an idol? What is an idol, and, and, and why should we be concerned about idols? The Hebrew word here is pasel, and, and it means carved image or graven image, and you see that in our translations and while golden calves may be of a, a gone era, we have our own golden images or golden calves of our own day. And I think what's interesting here is, is there's a fact in the second word that, that God makes clear in the reading that we found. And that's this, that idols don't exist on their own. We create them. Let me say that again. Idols don't exist on their own. We create them. And not only do we create them, but we worship them. Think about for a moment, what are some of the idols of our day and time? What are some of the things that come to your mind that, that we seem to, to give into or that we seem to hold in high esteem? Things like position, power, money, sex, prestige, social following, how many people are following us on social media. Our daughters are watching a, a modern version of Snow White a couple weeks ago. And you remember what the witch said, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? We still idolize beauty in this culture and in this day, don't we? And if you're, you're having a hard time thinking of, of other idols, let me expand the definition for us today. Another way to, to understand an idol is this. Anything we turn to when we're looking for security, for identity and meaning in life. Anything we turn to looking for security, for identity, and meaning in life. And this is what we find the Hebrew people doing in creating this golden calf. They're, they're worried about whether their fearless leader, Moses, 
is going to show back up. You know, the one with the rod and the staff that, that did all the tricks, if you will, in front of the Pharaoh and then struck it in the sea and allowed them to walk across dry land. The, the one that called upon God and, and manna and quail fell from the sky to feed them. This Moses is gone. They're worried about that. And perhaps in another sense, they keep looking over their shoulder. Are the Egyptians going to reform another army and come after us? And so in a sense of feeling insecure, despite the voice of God, the cloud of God over them, they needed something they could see, something that could soothe them. And so they took off their jewelry and they made something in their own image, this image of a golden calf. Only what they created by no means could do for them what God can do and had already done for them. Offer them a sense of security, a sense of identity, a sense of belonging, a sense of purpose in life. You know, Tim Keller expands on this even more. He's a pastor and a writer, and, and he's got a book called Counterfeit God, and, and I'm intrigued to maybe pick up a copy myself, but I was reading a, a, a little re- review of it, and it took an excerpt that I think speaks to what we're talking about here. He expounds on this idea of idol in this way. Anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. Which begs the question, what is it that you and I turn to for security, for identity, for purpose in life outside of God? What, what do we turn to to meet a need that only God can meet? Where do we turn and place our trust for security or lean in on to calm our fears or or to dull or better yet mask our pain because whatever that is for you and whatever that is for me well at risk becoming a modern day golden calf in our lives and so here's the problem with idols even though they may serve us well at first we ultimately end up serving them it doesn't matter whether it's alcohol or accolades it doesn't matter whether it's something that we perceive as bad or good. I've shared with y'all before that, you know, I, I was awarded a, a senior superlative Mr. Dependable in high school. And it's an honorable trait. I think most of us would agree to be dependable. And it was humbling to receive it. And my peers saw me or saw in me that I was somewhat of a Mr. Dependable. They called me dad. That was my nickname in high school. I don't know how many teenagers want to be called dad, but I was called dad. And it was a beautiful thing in some ways. I was a designated driver in high school and college. And if y'all need an Uber or a Lyft today, I'm your man. I'll, I'll be your designated driver. I, I was the one that would step up and be the team lead on a, on a school project. You know those projects where everybody has to kind of work together as a team? And maybe it was my OCD. I wanted to make sure it was done right. Anybody like that? Yeah, some of us like that. Okay, yeah. Apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, does it, Claire? But, you know, I found that this good trait got to a place that rather than being life-giving, it was life-taking. You may be wondering how in the world that it was doing this. It was because I began to find my sense of self-worth and being seen as Mr. Dependable rather than finding my identity in Christ Jesus. And any time that we end up doing this, (laughs) we end up becoming enslaved to our idols. You see, that's the irony, isn't it? That idolatry enslaves us. 
the very thing that God had just delivered the Egyptian people from. He wanted to help assure that they would not fall back into that in their own doing. And that's what idolatry does to us. We end up enslaving ourselves. We end up not only serving them, but we bow down and worship them, only to discover that they'll disappoint us. Why? Because they're not God. They'll fail us, whether it's a person or a thing or an item or a community, they will fail us because they're not God. God and God alone is the one that can fulfill our greatest needs. You see, we can, we can coast through life with idols in our life, and we wake up one day, and we realize that we've begun to worship what we've created rather than the one who created us. Ever been there? Maybe some of us are there today. This is what we find the golden calf Hebrew people doing right after having been delivered from that. Now, one of the things I like about Sean Gladding in the book, The Ten, many of y'all are in a small group kind of walking through that, and and it's been a fascinating read, and, and it's not too late to jump in one of those discussion groups to unpack this, but he draws a point about idolatry being that it's not just personal. It's not just something we do individually, but it's something we do corporately also. You, you think about as a nation, are there things that we idolize? I would say that one of the things that we idolize is celebrity status. I mean, we even have the, the recurring show, American What? Idol. I mean, we, we, we don't even hide around what it is, right? I mean, we call it out for what it is, and yet we celebrate it, don't we? But you know, as a nation, we also sometimes can idolize our flag, we can sometimes idolize our economy, we can sometimes idolize the political party. Sometimes we can even idolize our personal freedoms. And we end up elevating them above God himself when we begin to worship them, don't we? And it's not just a, a country thing, but it's also a church thing. And I, I hate to go there, but I have to go there because that's what I've been reflecting on as well, is that even in our desire to worship God, we can sometimes get distracted by the way in which we've created things in our walk with God. I'll never forget being up in um, seminary. I had a chance to go to different places for worship. And I had a friend in seminary that was preaching out in Winchester, Kentucky. And so he invited our whole family to go out there. And so we go out there. And let me tell you, that place was rocking. There was, there was a choir that had 30, 40 deep. They were wearing robes and they were swaying back and forth. And I look up and 45 minutes have gone by and they're still singing. Man, it was awesome. And you think I get long-winded up here, y'all? My friend got out to preach. Worship wasn't over for another, another hour. I mean, it was an amazing experience. But as I went to pick up our girls, our, our oldest, and you know how, how kids are, innocent and, and, and just speak the truth sometimes, or, or, or don't know what they're looking at, I, Alexis was pointing at this beautiful mural in the kids' area and said, Daddy, why is Jesus black? You see, it was an all-black African-American Baptist church. And over my shoulder here is an image of Jesus that's white. How often do we like to see ourselves in Christ? When really what we're all after, I think we all would agree, is that we want others to see Christ in us. And sometimes that whole God creating us in his image gets reversed. And we create God. We create God in our 
image. You know, you, you look at this and, 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 and you think about it, you know, on one hand, we, we can get caught up with doctrinal accuracy, and that can become an idol. On the other hand, we can look at social justice, and we get so caught up in it that it can become an idol, and that we lose sight of the one who comes with truth and grace, the one that comes with honesty and compassion, Christ alone. We lose sight of the one who's blessed us with his word and with a way to live it out. We get caught up in, in, in styles of worship. Most of y'all are here because you like the drummer Jack playing, right? Is he hiding up there? Others gather at 9 o'clock because they love hymns. Have you ever sat in the other worship hour and experienced worship in a different way? Have you ever gone to another country and experienced worship in another culture altogether? There's a beautiful tapestry of different expressions, but sometimes we can get a rut about the one that we like that serves the way we like to worship because we make worship about us and not about him. In some ways, we've got to get back to the heart of worship. Can I get an amen to that? You see, here's the thing. Whenever we attempt to create a representation of God, we can find the greatness and the transcendence of God. Whenever we attempt to create a representation of God, we can find the greatness and the transcendence of God. Think about that for a moment, how we do that in our own faith walks. And I know that by sharing this this morning, I've probably stepped on some of your toes. But I've been stepping on my own in writing this message. And so I stand there right with you with my toes scrunched up this morning. I think we can all agree, and I said this earlier, but I just want to say at the end, that our hope is that we look more like Jesus than Jesus looks like us. Can I get an amen to that? And that's made possible through sanctifying grace. That's something that's steeped in our Wesleyan heritage that we believe in, is that when we begin to yield to Jesus, not just being Savior, but Lord of our life, when we open ourselves up to the move of the Spirit of God that dwells in us, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in you, lives in me, and can transform us into the image in which God created us, rather than us trying to make God look like us. That's the beauty the Savior that we're here to praise today. You see, there's something else you need to know about the nature of idolatry, and that's that we don't willfully turn away from turning, the, worshiping the true and living God. I think we all, none of us here, have willfully walked away from worshiping God. But we've chosen to set something beside God that we also worship. Listen to, to what God said in, in Exodus 20, just after giving these ten words. In verse 22, the Lord God said to Moses, Tell the Israelites this. You've seen for yourselves that I have spoken to you from heaven. Do not make any gods to be alongside me. Do not make for yourselves gods of silver or gods of gold. You see, when we begin to put something beside us, or beside God, that is, we find that our devotion is divided. That's what God was concerned about and jesus spoke to this you remember the time when he spoke about the temptation of giving in to to worshiping money or putting our trust in money he said this 
Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Which leads me to ask this question of us, of you, and of me today, and that is, what is dividing your devotion to God? What's become your idol in your life? What are you allowing to get between you and your relationship with God, and ultimately then getting between you and your relationship with others that you care about in your life? Better yet, what are we putting in place of God in our lives, and perhaps even in our way of worship? You see, God wants our undivided attention. Why? It's in this second word. So he can bless us. And not just bless you, not just bless me, but bless generations after us. To a thousand generations. He wants to bless us. We can only do that when we turn to him and we give him the undivided attention that he's giving us. You see, after all, God's given his all, hasn't he? He's all in for you. He's all in for me. Christ Jesus coming and going to the cross is proof of that. For each of us and for all of us, Christ gave his life so that we might no longer experience the bondage of our own idolatry in our lives, to break that which holds us back. It's Christ who wants to restore your sense of worth, your sense of identity, The reality that you are of sacred and great worth to God. Now, who here doesn't want that? A greater sense of security? A greater sense of identity? A renewed sense of purpose in life? I think we all do. I think we all do. So how do we do that? Where where do we go from here? I'm reminded of a time in Bolivia that I had in there was this guy called the Idol Slayer. It was in a remote village. I, I had to ride in a Jeep 12 hours after landing in the airport to this remote village. No cell tower, no nothing, mud huts and everything. And they had an idol that they worshipped in the middle of their village. And after he came to Christ and he began to read God's word, he began to become convicted that they were bowing down to this idol in their village and he tore it down. Is there an idol that needs to be torn down in your life? Is there something that you need knocked down? I think God's calling us to cast down our idols today. Each of us. All of us. So how do we do that? Practically speaking, how do we do that? Well, I love the way that Sean Gladding oftentimes gives some practical ways to do this. And, and in the reader guide, a companion to the book, The Ten, he offers two practical ways. And I think they're worth sharing here. And if you're in one of the small groups, you can unpack it a little later. The first one is this, to practice, practice random acts of kindness. Now, you may be wondering, what's that got to do with idol worship? Well, at the root of idolatry is selfishness. A sense of trying to fill self, to gratify self, to fill in for self. And when we begin to be random in our acts of kindness, we begin to go from selfish to selfless. You remember Jesus at the banquet said, you know, you you don't invite those that can return the favor. You know, party at my house this week, party at the Browns next week, right? He said, no, invite those that can't return the favor. You see, by practicing random acts of kindness, 
you get your mind off yourself and onto others and what God wants to do through you in blessing other people. And, and the second thing is this. Be intentional about confessing to God and to other people that you trust. Your fears, your insecurities, and anything else that draws you toward your idol. The men's group that I'm a part of on Saturdays, we had an awesome experience yesterday. It was, it was like, it was divine interruption in a divine moment, if you will. Normally, after a lot of giggling and laughing, and we do, am I right, Michael? There's plenty of that. My wife can hear us through the windshield when she's sitting in the car 100 yards away because uh, we're sitting outside of the Reeves house right here. But we normally crack open God's word and we get into God's word before we get into each other's life. But someone, one of the guys in our group said, I've got something I'm struggling with relationally in my family. And I just got to get it off my chest. I need to share this with you. And I just, I need to share this. We look up and an hour's gone by as this man has been bold enough and yet humble enough to get real with what he's struggling with. And allow the other guys in that group to surround him and encourage him and lift him up and offer words of encouragement and also accountability. Because if something happens when we begin to confess those things, those, those things that have got a stronghold in our life, they no longer have the stronghold they once had. We have spoken them in a way that shame and guilt of keeping them in no longer can hold us. Do you have a trusted friend? Do you have that one? Do you have that one small group that you can get real with? You can be honest with? Because it's life-giving, y'all. And it will begin to help take away the shackles of that idolatry as Christ in the collective group begins to minister to your heart and your soul. I can promise you that. Let's get back to the heart of worship. Let's cast down some idols today as we continue in worship. Let's realize that we worship the risen Lord, Jesus Christ, Christ alone. He is our source of our identity. He is the source of our security. He is the source of our freedom. He is the source of our eternal life. And he wants to simply just walk with you. Just like God walked in the cool of the night with Adam and Eve before the fall, God desires to do it again with you through Christ. But you have to let him in. Will you let him in? Let us pray. Almighty God, I thank you today for this word. It's a hard word. It's a word that has <laughs> it's been stepping on my toes and challenging me to look inwardly. And yet at the same time to look outwardly. And God, um, I confess what a mess I have made at times in my own life of succumbing to idolatry. Even good things like Mr. Dependable and even the curmudgeon things that I have looked to to console me when only you and only you can fill that God-sized hole in my life. And I recognize that I'm not the only one that feels that way, that knows of that. Everyone here, I believe, can confess that if they're honest. So God, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, that even in spite of our temptation to continue to go after things that we can create, that you as our creator pursue after us all the way to the cross.
And Lord, that your grace is sufficient. So no matter where we've gone, where, where we've put our trust, no matter what we have put in place of our relationship with you and therefore impeded our relationship with others, God, your grace is sufficient to forgive us, to free us. And so, Lord, I pray that the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit would be palpable today, gentle enough to convict us, and powerful enough to remind us that we are free and that we can walk free. Lord, we need you, and we seek to worship you and you alone today. I ask this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and the church said, amen. You know, as praise team leads us in this song, I just take a moment, let God speak to your heart through the words. The prayer rail is open for you just to simply give it all to God. Let's get back to the heart of worship. Amen.